0: This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Lord, we would ask you for the the grace to, to wake up each day understanding the message of that song that we don't have to do life alone, then we can do it with the one who truly has power and authority, that our lives can be clothed in Christ who has all authority and who sends us out with authority because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And so, Lord, speak to us today, that message through your word, we ask in Jesus' name, Amen. We'll open your Bibles to Luke chapter four this morning, Luke four, and uh, so we we be, we have begun a series on the the Gospel of of Luke for um, this new year. We're gonna we're gonna be in uh, in Luke from now through Easter Sunday. And what we're doing in this series is we are looking at um, different encounters that our Lord has uh, with, with, with people in the Gospels. Um, and so today we're going to be in, in chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at, at an encounter there which is particularly about his authority, encountering his authority. Luke chapter 4, and we're going to begin with verse uh, thirty one there and go through um, the end of the chapters. Follow along in your copy of, of God's word as we look at it together. It says, He went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. They were astonished at his teaching because his message had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man with an unclean demonic spirit who cried out with a loud voice, Leave us alone! What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and said, Be silent and come out of him. And throwing him down before them, the demon came out of him without hurting him at all. Amazement came over them all, and they were saying to one another, What is this message? For he commands the unclean spirits with authority and power, and they come out. And news about him began to go out to every place in the vicinity. After he left the synagogue, he entered Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him about her, so he, he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up immediately and began to serve them. When the sun was setting, all those who had anyone sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on each one of them, he healed them. Also, demons were coming out of many, shouting and saying, you are the son of God, but he rebuked them. and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. When it was day, he went out and made his way to a deserted place. But the crowds were searching for him. They came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, It is necessary for me to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Mark Galley is one of the editors at Christianity Today magazine. And he tells about a, a time when his church, he was, he was pastoring at that point in California near Sacramento, and his church had adopted a group of refugees from the nation of Laos. And so these people had uh, very little knowledge about Christianity and, and practically no knowledge of the Bible, but because this church had loved them so much, they were open to hearing about it, and so Mark decided he's going to have a a Bible study with them, and so one day, they're in a Bible study, and they're sitting around the circle, and he's telling them the story about Jesus calming the storm on the Sea of Galilee, you know the story where it's nighttime, and Jesus and the disciples are in the boat, and this sudden, violent storm comes up. On the Sea of Galilee, the boat is about to be swamped and Jesus is asleep. They shake him awake and they say, we're gonna die. And Jesus just calmly stands up and just says to the wind and the waves, peace, be still. And like suddenly everything is just placid. I mean, it's just like a sea of glass. And so uh, Mark was, was sharing this story with these refugees, and then he, he asked them, he, he said, he said um, do you believe that God can calm storms in your lives? And they just looked at him like with a kind of a, a puzzled Look. And he said, you know, like we all have different things that happen and we go through crises and, and difficulties in, in, our, in our lives. What are some of the, the, the storms in your lives? And again, there's just like this awkward silence. And then one of them spoke up and he said... Pastor, do you really mean that Jesus could speak to, to the wind and the waves and, and, and cause them to be calm? And the pastor said, well, well, yes, but let's not get sidetracked by the, by the details of the, of the miracles. Let's talk about how God can calm storms in our lives. Again, there's just puzzled looks. And then another one speaks up. And he says, well, if Jesus could speak and, and cause the wind and the waves to be still, that means that he is powerful. And at that, the whole group of refugees just became animated, and they, they began to speak to one another in their language, and they're just chatting, and they're, they're just they're blown away by, by what's happened here. And, 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 and Mark Galley says, and then it hit me. Everyone in the room was just lost in wonder, except me. <laughs> and, and it was obvious that they had grasped the meaning of the text better than me. You know, sometimes as, as 21st century American believers, we, we can tend to, to sort of tame. We want to tame Jesus. We want to kind of domesticate Jesus. Jesus. And sometimes, even as believers, we can sort of, sort of unconsciously um, have sort of an anti-supernatural bias. But as we get into a part of the Gospel of Luke today, where we're, we're going to begin to encounter miracles, we need to understand a couple of things about them. First of all, miracles are real, miracles are real. If you want to take notes uh, and fill in blanks, it's in your it's on the back of your your bulletin. Miracles are are real. The anti-supernatural bias that we see in the western world today is a faith in and of itself. Dr. Ian Hutchinson teaches at MIT. He's a professor of nuclear science and engineering there. And a couple of years ago, he and some of his his Christian colleagues at MIT wrote a a paper about why, as scientists, they believe in the literal, bodily, historical resurrection of Christ. And among other things, Dr., uh, Dr. Hutchinson said this, He said, today's widespread materialist view that events contrary to the laws of science just can't happen is a philosophical doctrine, not a scientific fact. In the case of Jesus' resurrection, we must consider the historical evidence, and the historical evidence for the resurrection is as good as for almost any event of ancient history. And by the way, if we can believe in the miracle of the resurrection, then we should have no trouble believing in any other miracle that Jesus performed or any other miracle in the Bible. So miracles are real. Second, miracles point to a deeper reality. Miracles point to a deeper reality. So when we see Jesus healing people like we see in this text today, he doesn't just heal people. He does do that, but he doesn't, he's not doing just that. When we see him healing people, it's not just healing people, it is a sign that God has come to heal his broken creation. When we see Jesus casting out demons, as we're gonna see in this text, he's not just casting out demons. It is a sign that God has come to destroy the works of the devil. The principalities and powers of, of darkness are being defeated. And all of this is bound up with his authority. Now when we get to the Great Commission in Matthew 28, What do we tend to quote? We tend to skip over and we quote beginning at verse 19 where Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. But we skip over what he says in the preceding verse. In verse 18, what does Jesus say there? It says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now we see his authority in this text in Luke 4. And we see it in three ways. First of all, authority in his teaching. Authority in his teaching. Let's check out verse 31. It says then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. So when it says that Jesus went down to Capernaum, <clears throat> that is literal. Because last week, where where, where did you see that Jesus was just before this? He was in Nazareth. So Nazareth is 1,600 feet above sea level and Capernaum is 686 feet below sea level. If you visit Israel, um, you, will, you will come to a point where you, you look down at the Sea of Galilee and it looks like just this beautiful blue bowl of, of soup at the bottom of, surrounded by mountains. And Capernaum is one of the towns on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. And it was incredibly important in the ministry of Jesus because it becomes like a home base of operations for Jesus. Yes, he is born and he was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, but really during his earthly ministry, the town that he comes back to, that's sort of home base, is Capernaum. <clears throat> it's right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. There's fishing businesses that were located there. And so there are gonna be two sets of brothers that are in the fishing business that we're gonna meet in Luke that become incredibly important in the ministry of Jesus, Peter and Andrew and James and John. And so on this day, it says it was the Sabbath. And so where is Jesus? Jesus is in the synagogue. This Capernaum has been excavated. It's incredible what you can see there. But this is one of those situations where you can actually stand in the very spot where Jesus was standing that day. And so he's in the synagogue and he's teaching. And what is his teaching like? Verse 32, it says, they were astonished at his teaching because his message had authority. They were astonished. The, the Greek word here could be translated as like thunderstruck. We just, we just sung that, Earlier, right, awestruck. We sung about lightning and thunder. right That was the reaction here. They were awestruck, thunderstruck by his teaching. Why? Because his message had authority. And that was very much in contrast to what they were used to from their teachers, from their scribes. Um, check out um, in Matthew 7, verses 28 and 29, the Bible says when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. See, when the scribes taught, <clears throat> it was, they were basically locked up by quotation marks. When they taught, it was like just a series of quotes from other rabbis. You know, Rabbi so-and-so said this, Rabbi so-and-so said this, Rabbi so-and-so said this. The every, virtually everything that they would teach would be a quote from you know, centuries of rabbinic tradition. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus, instead of sort of teaching what other people had said about God's word, There's a directness in his teaching. Like he teaches God's word directly, teaches the Bible directly. There's a a directness that is there that is utterly unlike anything that they have experienced before. There's something else too. And we talked about it last week. What, what, What happened at the baptism of Jesus? The heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit had descended upon him. So there was, there was an anointing of Holy Spirit power on his teaching that was just unlike anything they had encountered before. They were thunderstruck. So there was an authority in his teaching. Second, authority over demons. Authority over demons, demonic power. Verses 33 and 34, in the synagogue, <clears throat> there was a man with an unclean demonic spirit who cried out with a loud voice, and it was like to the top, he was screaming. It was at, at, at the top of his lungs. I mean, it was just this, this pitched scream. Leave us alone. What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. <clears throat> Carolyn Arends tells about a time when some, some missionaries came to her church when she was a girl. And of course, <clears throat> they told about pe- people uh, who had come to know Christ and you know, lives that had been transformed But that's not what she remembers. She remembers a story that they told, and it was a story about a snake. They told a story about how um, in their jungle outpost, they had, had left their door open for a few minutes one day, and they came back in, and in their kitchen was an enormous snake, like longer than any human being. And they were terrified. They ran, grabbed one of the locals, and he just sort of uh, smiled at them and just very calmly grabbed a machete and walked into the house and with one swift chop, decapitated this snake. And he came back out and he said, Okay, problem solved, but there is a catch. (laughs) You have to wait for him to understand that he's dead. And what he meant by that is that the particular neurology of this uh, snake, a lot of snakes, this one in particular, w- was that it, t- it takes a while for, even after they're decapitated, for their their body to, to stop moving. So this this huge body was still just kind of thrashing about in the house and just flailing itself about. And so they had to stand outside for a few hours and just, and just wait. And then the missionary said to the congregation, do you see? That's the stage that we're in right now, right? This is the thrashing time. The, this, the serpent has been decapitated, right? That's, that's, that's Genesis 3, Right, what happens after Satan does his worst to Adam and Eve? What does God tell him? He says the seed of the woman's going to come. He's talking about a son, and you're gonna bruise his heel, but he is going to crush your head. Right, so so he's he is he's a goner, he's been decapitated, but he's thrashing around and wreaking havoc. And that's what was happening. It was happening in a synagogue of all places. Because what's going on here? There's this man with this unclean demonic spirit. He's screaming, and yet it's really not his voice. Like there are other voices that are coming through, and these voices are saying, Leave us alone. What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And here we see something we're going to see again and again in Luke, and that is the demons recognize Jesus long before anybody else does. They're fallen angels. Right? They're supernatural beings. They know who he is. In fact, if you um, if you look down at verse forty-one uh, here, it's you know it's it's even more explicit it says also demons were coming out of many shouting and saying you are the son of God but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ let's go back here to, to what they say to Jesus in verse 34 leave us alone what do you have to do with us now, that phrase is really interesting. If you were, it's almost, you could almost translate that as like, why bug us? Why bug us? And then the next question. Have you come to destroy us? They're gonna find out, right? First John 3, 8 says, this is why the, the son of God came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 35. But Jesus rebuked him and said, Be silent and come out of him. And throwing him down before them, the demon came out of him without hurting him at all. I mean, Jesus isn't messing around here. He's like, Speaks a word of command Be silent and come out of him. Just a word. Just a command. And the demon comes out and comes out with such force. The poor guy is just collapses, but, but then obviously just immediately gets up. And this guy, who had been just a pitiful wreck just moments before, is whole. He's tranquil, he's calm. What, what, was, what was the reaction to this? Verse 36 amazement came over them all. And they were saying to one another, what is this message? For he commands the unclean spirits with authority and power, and they come out. Listen, we need to understand spiritual warfare is real. It's real. Right? Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, 12, and 13, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Again, 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9 says stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are, or worse. So clothe yourself with Christ. Christ. Each day, stay close to Jesus. When you stay close to Jesus, listen, you're cloaked in the one who has the power and the authority to deal with the devil. Can't deal with him on our own. We're toast on our own. He has authority over demons. Third, authority over disease. Authority over disease. Verses 38 and 39. After he left the synagogue, he entered Simon's house. This is Peter. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they, they asked him about her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever. And it left her. She got up immediately And began to serve them. Now, if you visit Israel, you'll certainly go to Capernaum and you will go to the the synagogue where, where Jesus was. And then, right after that, just really steps away, you will go to the home of Peter. And so Jesus on this, this day, he goes from sort of this, this, this crazy, chaotic scene with this demon-possessed man in the synagogue and leaves the synagogue and then just steps away, goes to Peter's house, and there's another terrifying scene there because Peter's mother-in-law has this high fever. Now, high fevers in the first century not like high fevers today. They can be scary today, particularly with children. But 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 in the first century, whole different deal. No modern medicine, no antibiotics. And so when people had high fevers, more often than not, they just died. And so this was a terrifying situation with Peter's mother-in-law. She's lying there just in a pool of, of, of sweat with this fever on death's door. Again, what does Jesus do? It's a word. A word of command. What did he do to the demons? He spoke. They came out. What does he do to the fever? Just speaks, just rebukes the fever. Done. Done. What does she do? She doesn't just kind of, kind of, sort of, you know, gradually get better. No, this woman who has been on death's door a moment before is, is playing hostess. And she's serving people. It's like nothing had ever happened. Look at verse 40. It says, when the sun was setting, all those who had anyone sick with various diseases brought them to him. As he laid his hands on each one of them, he healed them. Now notice, notice like the, 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 the universality of the language here all those who had anyone sick as he laid his hands on each one of them he healed them now does god still perform miracles does he still heal people yeah yes he does i mean i i know personally of situations where God has healed people. You probably do. And so, yes, God still heals, still casts out demons. But we should not expect ministry in the 21st century to look exactly like ministry looked that day in Capernaum, and here's why. Why? Because what was happening that day in Capernaum is a sign, it was a sign that the promised one has come. It was a sign that God was was breaking into his broken creation and bringing restoration, that God was healing and restoring his broken world that God had broken into his creation and was in the process of destroying the works of the devil and this has come in the person of Jesus. So what's happening particularly in that day, in Capernaum, is a sign that the Messiah has come. I agree with when he says I often wonder why people who claim to have healing powers and gifts do not simply go to hospitals and heal the sick. Why must they rent stadiums, sell tickets, and have cameras filming them? When Jesus heals, there is no fakery. Satan has his counterfeits, but Jesus is the real deal. He is the Son of God, the King of Kings, and He has authority in His teaching, authority over demons, and authority over physical existence. Hey, here's the issue. Have you recognized His authority in your life? I've heard testimonies where people say, Ha! Huh, I've trusted him as my savior. Ah, but then a few years later, I made him my Lord. First of all, we don't make him anything. He is Lord. Second, when we truly repent of our sins and trust in Jesus, then we are ceding our right to run things. He is in authority. We are yielding authority to him. As our Lord, as our king, you cannot repent and believe apart from that. To repent and believe in Jesus means that you are taking your hands off the control. And you are recognizing his authority to run your life. Which is really kind of liberating, isn't it? We don't have to run things anymore. We have to to run our lives. We run our lives. It's a wreck. It's a mess. How incredibly liberating. How incredibly freeing. (laughs) We don't have to run our lives anymore. Uh, We can yield the controls to Jesus. He does a much better job of it. That's good news and what do we see here in verse 43 about the good news? He said to them, "It's necessary for me to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because I was sent for this purpose. There are like 30-some references to the kingdom of God in the Gospel of, of Luke. Um, and this is among the first. So what's a kingdom? So rule and reign right? It, it, it means that Jesus as the king has the authority to rule and to reign in our lives. So what are we saying earlier? I surrender. Have you really done that? Surrender. Raise the, the white flag. <laughs> Say, God, I surrender to you. I'm tired of trying to run my life. I want the one who has real power and authority to run my life. I want the one who had the power and authority to speak this world into existence to run my life. I want the one who has all power and authority in heaven and on earth to run my life. I want the one who has power over demons and power over our physical existence to run my life. I want the one who loved me enough to shed his blood for me to run my life. I want the one who walked out of that tomb alive, the risen one, to run my life. I want the one who's coming again to run my life. Let's pray together. and so Lord we pray that your Holy Spirit would, would, would deal with, with us now about who you are and about your authority Lord that you would give us the grace to surrender Father for anyone here who doesn't know Jesus we pray that you would open the eyes of their heart to repent and believe in this moment Father, for those of us who are believers, we pray that you would help us to relinquish things that we're still trying to control in our lives and truly surrender, truly yield those things to you and let you take over. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.